We had a great podcast today and a good time recording it with Wade Owens, the Nolensville campus teaching pastor on prayer is power, prayer is joy, some real practical takeaways, next steps for how to pray, maybe how to reboot your prayer life if it's been absent for some time or dormant. Uh, it was a fun to record. I was in my basement. Dukes was in his office. Wade Owens was somewhere in his car in Middle Tennessee. So please forgive us some of the glitchiness of the uh, network and connections we had, but I but, uh, hope you really enjoy this content are encouraged and challenged by it. We appreciate you. Well, hey, welcome to this week's episode of Making Disciples Every Day. I'm Jason Dukes. I'm on team with Brentwood Babis, and I'm here today with my teammate, Paul Wilkinson, my partner in crime on this podcast. Hello. Thankful he's here, and we have a special guest with us today, one of our campus and teaching pastors, Wade Owens. Hey, what's, what's up, guys? He's with the church at Nolansville, and Wade, we do this with everybody. Why don't you just real quickly give a bit of an introduction of who you are, and, and you can, you're welcome to tell about your family if you want, and, uh, and how long you've been on team with the Brentwood Baptist Family of Churches. Yeah, thanks, Jason, Paul. Appreciate what you guys do, your investment in the kingdom. It's making a difference. Honored to be with you guys today. As Jason said, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor for the church at Nolansville, one of the campuses of Brentwood Baptist. Moved here from Houston about 18 months ago to plant the church at Nolansville and have been really excited to see what God has done and how through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has begun to shake lives and shake the city already through our church. Moved here with an amazing wife of a little over 20 years named Kim and three awesome children, Caleb, Madeline, and Kennedy. We call them Caleb, Maddie, and KK, 13, 11, and 8. So people always ask me, hey, what are you into? What are your hobbies? And my answer is always whatever my kids are doing. <laughs> right. They, they, they love to be active and they're busy, so we just chase them around and uh, watch them follow Jesus and, and live their life. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. How are they adjusting? I mean, I know from where you guys were to here is, was a big change. Are they doing well with that? <laughs> they, they love the fact that we have four seasons, that it's not 90 degrees every day when you go outside, that there's hills and leaf change. They Jason, man, they're thriving. My wife's plugged into biblical community. My kids believe they got God called us here. They were a big part of the decision-making process um, that they too felt the call to come and plant this church. And they're making friends. They're living on mission. And they, uh, they don't want to go back. We were in Houston a couple of months ago. And after a few days there, they all looked at me and said, dad, let's go back home, referring to Nolansville. And so that was a sweet moment for me to realize that Nolansville and Middle Tennessee is already a big part of their heart and their life. That's good stuff, man. And and t talk about just so our listeners will know a little bit more about the church at Nolansville, if you don't mind. What I know you know the answer to this question well. I don't even have to prompt you with it or uh, give you Jesus. Jesus is the answer. That's right. That's right. Always. The wh what would you say are two, maybe three of the things? that you are trying to emphasize that you are hoping the church at Nolansville becomes more than anything else? Yeah, Jason, that's a great question. And that's really what drove me here was a robust vision. People 
eager for a mission and a place to to lead out in that way. So there's three things that we're trying to do as a church. Groups, gospel conversations, and go. And you, you know the story of my friend that has a mitten data would go over there and I watched them start from nine men in 2009 and now they have around 600,000 people a week gathering to hear the gospel, baptizing six, 7,000 people a year and gatherings no larger than 50 to 100 villages, homes. It's a disciple-making movement. And I used to feel so frustrated at And I would say, hey, why isn't that happening in America? And he would always say, wait, that's on you, not on me. <laughs> and I just began praying. God, the same Holy Spirit multiplication movement on the other side of the world. It's the same Holy Spirit in Tennessee and in Houston. And I just want to be in a place where I can plant my life with a group of people hungry to see the same God do the same thing. So that's what drove me here when Mike began talking about 10,000 disciples making disciples, half a million gospel conversations, 100 healthy congregations. I'd only ever been a part of groups that said, let's build it bigger in one place. But God Mm -hmm. was stirring that desire for a multiplication, rapid disciple making movement in my heart. And we believe Nolansville is a place to do that. 10th fastest growing city in middle Tennessee, people moving here from all over the country. And I think there's a hurricane of the Holy Spirit that can happen in Nolansville because you have people moving here, even though they're financially successful, they're hurting, they're broken, and they're looking up for purpose. They're looking up for salvation. They're looking up for hope. And then people scatter all over the nation during the week for their job. So I think people can come here, get equipped and get sent back out to our neighborhoods and nations. And so the big thing that we're trying to do, Jason, is make our groups that missional community for so long in my world, the buzzword around small groups was build community, build community, build community. And I think the last 25 years testifies that if you build community, you rarely, if ever get mission, it's not a natural offshoot of biblical community, but if you get people rallying together on mission, you always get biblical community. And so biblical community doesn't naturally produce mission, but mission mission naturally produces biblical community. And so we wanted to land in a place where people were hungry for mission, give them that mission as the key focus of their group, and then watch how God galvanizes their lives together in a real authentic biblical community. So we're doing that. That's the big thing that marks our groups, our languages. That's the tip of the spear. Get in a group, get on purpose, find freedom, find mission, get in a group with us. And then we want everybody to be having gospel conversations, sharing um, the gospel, spiritual things with the lost and searching around us. We want people doing that, finding joy. That's why they came to Nolensville. Maybe they thought it was a job. Maybe they were looking for a four-bedroom, three-bath, open concept, new build with a nice neighborhood. That may have been on their list, but that's not what was on God's list. God put them here on purpose with a purpose, and that's to have gospel conversations and multiply themselves. So we're equipping our people to have gospel conversations, which I think then leads to people going, going across the street and around the world with the gospel. And that's why we exist. Groups, gospel conversations, and go. That's awesome. And you said that really, really well. I mean, I, I, I almost said amen about six times. So. <laughs> or, or well, something like that. Well. Man, I mean, and Paul, you chime in too, brother, because I know that 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 is, um, you know, the what burns in your heart too. I mean, it's so meaningful to hear how how much I, I, I'm getting to know you well enough to know you are emphasizing that really well. You are creatively redundant about it. You are doing everything you can to help people 
the people that gather there with you guys to, to truly understand their identity in Christ and their security from Christ and their purpose with Christ. And that's such a beautiful um, way that you continually uh, proclaim the gospel. And, and, and I love that about you and your leadership and what you're doing. And so it's neat because you've got a, we've got another series that starts um, called Outflow. And when you look at the ways that we talk about disciples making disciples among our family of churches, we talk about that coming out of the outflow of prayer and scripture and Sabbath. And so this series, right, it's kind of based around those three items. What about the outflow of prayer, the outflow of scripture, the outflow of Sabbath, right? And you kind of helped put this series together. So maybe give a, a two questions. One, what, what is, how would you describe kind of the heart of what this series is about? And then secondly, what's really an, a hoped for outcome that you'd love to see? Yeah, so absolutely. that The Outflow series stems from the idea that our disciple-making strategy can't come from our best efforts. It can't come from our intellect. It can't come from our skill and our craft. It's got to come from something deeper. Being changed by God on the inside leads to right living, right action on the outside. So it's, a, it's an outflow from an inner working of what God's doing in our hearts. So these three areas, prayer, scripture, and Sabbath, I think fuel our disciple-making strategy. They fuel our groups functioning as a missional community group. They function having gospel conversations, and they are the, the catalyst for us going. So as we think about prayer, scripture, and Sabbath, we want to see those as fuel for our disciple-making strategy. And so we think about prayer. We want our people's lives to be informed and marked by prayer. We want people to pray with confidence. We, when we believe we, when we pray with confidence, when that glorifies God, brings joy to his heart, and so we want people to, to have an active and robust prayer life. And then in Scripture, man, in God's Word, we find everything that we need for life. Uh, nothing can replace the importance and necessity of regular intimacy with God and His Word. And so we want people to feast on His Word. And that's where God shows us more of His character, His nature, His mission, His purpose, His identity. So as we get in His Word, that fuels our desire for mission, to be in a group, to have gospel conversations, and to go. And then in Sabbath, we also believe, man, ministry flows out of our rest, and rest doesn't come naturally for us, but we have to trust that while we're still, God's not. And, and moreover, in our rest, it reminds us, just as believers, that, man, because of Jesus, we don't have anything to prove. God's already pleased in who we are. So our disciple-making strategy doesn't earn favor with God. We we want to be disciples who make disciples because of the favor we already have in God. So it's a reminder to us that, man, God doesn't need us, but he uses us. So it's a good thing to rest and fuel our own soul. But then it's also an opportunity for us to preach the gospel to ourselves, to say, man, we do and live on mission because God is already pleased in us. And so this week, we're going to launch into prayer. Pretty excited about it. Yeah, so much good stuff there on every level. Um, I think what really struck out to me from your first articulation of the church at Nolensville is you have this telescoping concept of mission is that we look at home, there's mission here because these people moving in are broken, just like we're all broken in need of Christ. But then 
as we get healthy in community that we're constantly on mission to our own people, uh, to Middle Tennessee, obviously, and then to the global reality. Talk, talk a little bit about how prayer empowers, encourages, or influences whatever language you want to use. How does, how does, how does prayer infuse your missional communities? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And as we approach prayer this week, it's an interesting animal because I don't think when we tell the church, hey, prayer is important, there's going to be this eureka moment in the life of a believer. Like, oh, I had no idea God wanted me to pray. But I think what I want to remind the church this week initially is prayer is in the same way that God uses the proclamation of the gospel to save people. God saves people. We don't save people, but he uses his church. He uses humans to proclaim the gospel, to bring people into the kingdom of God. In the same way God uses the proclamation of the gospel to save people, he uses prayer to move his hand and to move mountains. And so we want people to know how powerful prayer is. And one of the ways that I like to call is places that I used to love to fish when I was in Houston was along the coast. And there were these three streams that came together, two naturally occurring currents in the Gulf, and then one current of brackish water coming in from the Brazos River. And when those three things came together, it was really unlike any other spot. And you could just have a great day fishing. And I think about those three currents coming together and what's happening in Nolensville. We got three different currents in our church. We have some of the sharpest people I've ever been around in my life in Middle Tennessee. It is a magnet for people who are incredibly sharp. I'm rarely <laughs> the sharpest guy in any room that I've ever been in. In fact, I feel, I feel like I don't belong in most rooms, whether it's with leaders or our lay people. We just got sharp people in Middle Tennessee. So we've got an incredibly strong current of sharp people. We got vision, we got strategy, we got objectives, we got key results, we got a vision, and, and those are two incredibly strong streams. But when you put incredibly sharp people with a clear vision and a great strategy, you have some of the most dangerous people you could be around because they rely on their own effort, they rely on their own strength. And we say, hey, this is where we're going, God, would you catch up and bless this? And so prayer is that missing stream I think in most churches and in most believers' life that leave us powerless and don't see God doing what God is capable of doing in our lives. And I love Mark 9, where Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He inter in, you know, encounters his disciples who have trouble casting out the, de the demonic spirit. And I'm sure they're running through all of the exercises <laughs> Jesus did. And they're checking their boxes. Man, I did one, I did two, I did three, and nothing happened. And Jesus shows up on the scene and I, I picture the disciples with their moleskin journal going out. Okay, we missed a step. Let's watch how Jesus does it. Boom, Jesus is casted out. I would imagine the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, what did we do wrong? And Jesus answers in Mark 9. He says, some of these things, you guys know the scripture, can only be accomplished through much prayer. Hmm. And man, that just weighed heavy on my soul as we begin to plant the church at Nolensville that I think our people have forgotten how powerful prayer is. Some of the things that we need to see God do will only be done through prayer. It won't be done through high intellect, high capacity people. In fact, God changed the world with a ragtag group of men and women. So he doesn't need our intellect. I'm grateful that we have sharp people. They're great, but he doesn't need it. 
strategies are great. I think where there's no vision, the people perish. We need to have vision and strategy, but those two things won't get it done. We got to be a people of prayer and prayer moves God's hand. Prayer moves our own heart. And so I think there's a power in prayer that we have forgotten. And it has been more of an asterisk on the end of our lives or something we do at mealtime or when we're sick or hurting. But the kingdom of God, I think, is moved forward and darkness is pushed back through our prayer. So one of the things I want to remind people this week is just how powerful our prayer is. That's one thing. Yeah, so the fruit of the mission is in a large way contingent upon the prayers of the people. God will do the labor. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great no question. Great stuff. Yeah. Two, you know, two pedals on one bike. I mean, we pray, God responds. We act in obedience, God responds. So yeah, the you think you said it well, the fruit of the mission I think is born on our knees and in prayer. And at the end of the day, do we want to do something that we can look back on and go, hey, we did that? Or do we want to be a part of something so epic that we go, the only way that's possible is because God moved among us? I love that. I love that. And I think, I think, again, because of how you guys emphasize the holistic life, the holistic abundant life that we're really equipping our people to come to understand and, and experience with Jesus, it, 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 it adds even more, you know, just strength and encouragement and, and potential to what a life in prayer like that could really look like. You, I know you link a lot with a guy named Kevin Phillips and, and, uh, and his organization out of Houston. You kind of mentioned him earlier um, with the work he's doing and has encouraged and equipped for overseas and, and his heart too now to see that occur here in the middle Tennessee or just in the American context and like all of us. And, um, you know, he talks a lot about prayer. You're equipping well them folks to live on mission and think about how to use prayer in the everyday of that mission. Right. So talk a little bit more about that. Like what, how does, how does he equip for that? How are you guys kind of translating that into this context? And, and, and more of what that could really mean, not only of how it lives itself out in groups, but even how those individuals that you've talked about that go all over the country and come back and, um, you know, how that is played out in their life. Yeah, it's a great question. So equipping is, is multifaceted. One, reminding people of how powerful it is. And then two, and I'll get to some tactical equipping in a minute, but I think there's some 50,000 foot equipping people need to get one. I don't think our people pray often enough is because I think they get into a pattern where they, they begin to think because of their brokenness or their sin, even as, as believers that God just doesn't like them. And we don't tend to hang out with people we think don't like us. I mean, I don't walk up to someone and say, Hey man, every time I'm around you, you have this gag reflex and I seem to bother you. What are you doing Saturday? Let's hang out. And so I think (laughs) people forget that God is not frustrated by them, that God is not against them, and that God is not opposed to them, that in Christ there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. And so we're not unwanted house guests. We just came off of Memorial Day weekend, and there's always those people that tend to stay a little bit too long, and, you know, I'll leave the room for an hour and come back out. I'm like, y'all are still here? I'm cleaning the house. That's a signal that you should leave. And so I think that our people need to be reminded in an equipping way that, man, 
God is not against you. If you are in Christ, there is no barrier between you and God. And God says, get in here, come to me. In fact, Luke 18, we'll talk about the prayer of the persistent widow. And God has this nature of bother me, pester me, come to me. And when our kids do that to us, we're like, I've told you five times, no, get out. And so I think part of the equipping is deconstructing a faulty view of who God is and their relationship with him in Christ that God says, come to me, don't run from me, run to me. So that's part of our equipping is just dismantling some of their poor uh, understanding of who God is, father wounds and all of that um, impedes prayer. So we can't get to tactical equipping until we fix their theology of who God as a father is. So we always start there. It's one of the things I'll do this week. And then tactically, one of the things that we equip our people for is a a simple line where we tell people, hey, pray for until you can pray with. And we remind people of the power of prayer walking, prayer driving, having an ongoing prayer life for the lost and searching around them. Redeem the first and last five minutes of your drive in and out of your neighborhood instead of already checking into work mode and running through your to-do list for the day. How about pray for the neighbors that you haven't met yet. Begin praying for those around you for opportunities for expressions of love and truth into their lives. So we want to teach them to be active in prayer walking. That's where the movement that I talk about so often in Southeast Asia begins at every step of reproducibility. They begin prayer walking neighborhoods and villages and areas, and they prayer walk it and bathe it in prayer for weeks or months before they begin to even engage. And they say, God, We want to till the soil here in prayer, in preparation for what we believe you're going to do. There are people here who are yet to believe. Would you go before us? And so we begin tactically equipping our people to begin redeeming parts of their life. Instead of walking by the guy in your office who irritates you and going through uh, your mental checklist of frustration, walk by his desk and pray. Redeem areas of your life every day and pray for until you can pray with. And so that's a primary equipping tool that we give to our people. Pray for, you can pray with, and God will give you opportunities to pray with people if you'll pray for them first. Will you share a little bit about what you do when you pray? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when we pray, as they're praying for and so praying with, we, we say, hey, actually write down the names of the, the neighbors in your street. Make a list. And we begin to ask God to open their hearts. We begin to ask God to go before them. We begin to ask God for wisdom. We begin to ask God for insight. We begin to ask God for courage, for boldness. We tell them, hey, ask, ask for big things. If you ask for small things and you get small things, then, you know, why, why are you surprised? But when you ask for big things, why not expect God to do big things? One example, Jared Burke, one of our leaders, uh, we, we've been equipping him to pray for until you can pray with. And he said, I haven't met my neighbor in a year and I'm, I'm, I feel guilty over it. I feel, I feel like I've disappointed God. So we took him back to the whole idea. Hey, God's not frustrated with you. God loves you. God is for you. Um, begin praying for your neighbor. He began praying for his neighbor that day. God, I want to meet him. I want to know him. Would you begin making opportunities now for me to meet my neighbor. I want to be able to have meaningful conversations with him. I want to know him. I want to know what's going on with his life. I want to serve him. I want to care for him. God, would you do that? And the next day he got out of his car at the same time his neighbor got out of his car. His neighbor walked over to him, approached him and said, you know what? We haven't met my name. I don't remember the guy's name, man. And they had a 20 minute conversation in his his driveway the next day initiated by his neighbor. 
That's um, awesome. Wow. And so um, quick follow up to that is I have found with many of the adults I work with at the Brentwood campus, and I know this for me personally, I struggle to pray for myself. We struggle to pray for ourselves unless there's a major crisis. But in the Absolutely. day by day, how would you recommend uh, we pray for ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. So I keep a list in my journal, areas of my heart where I struggle, tendencies, weaknesses, areas where I feel like um, I, need to, I need to lean into my wife. I need to lean into my son or my daughter. So I, I keep a, a bullet point, three or four or five things that I feel like God is, is you know, pushing on me, leaning on me. So I keep that. And, and I don't necessarily go through, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I, I keep a list of things that are going on in my heart and my life. And then I just go to the Lord before him and say, God, you know, I'm wrestling with this. You know, this is something that should struggle for me or God, you know, that person just gets on my nerves. So I, I keep a bullet point list of about three to five things that um, in my heart and life that I feel like the, that God's working in me. And they're not all struggles. Some of them are, are, are vision things. God, I, I, want, I want to see this happen in my life. Could you give me power here? Some of it's wisdom. God, I'm, I'm struggling on this decision. James says, if we lack wisdom, ask. So three to five things. Some of them are personal struggles. Some of them are areas of wisdom or discernment. Some of them have to do with my family. So I keep in my moleskin three to five things. And I don't really move on beyond those things until I get either direction from the Lord, healing. There's some things, Paul, man, I've been on my list for two years. I've been wrestling with the Lord over it. Sometimes I feel like I get traction. Sometimes I go backwards, but I don't move it off of my moleskin until I go in that direction. And the thing that I think helps me practically is I've learned the difference between conviction and condemnation. Hmm. And the enemy loves to scream condemnation over me, which makes me run from God in prayer, makes me feel like a failure before God at his feet, makes me want to slink away, but not enter into the throne room with confidence. And so I've learned to ignore condemnation because the enemy's a liar, but listen to the whispers of God conviction and lean into prayer in those areas. So I keep them all so a couple of things in my life, personally, my family, the church, and I don't move on from those things uh, like I've got wisdom or freedom. Yeah, we can all do that. That's some easy first steps. And then jot the names down of your neighbors too, man. That's so great. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. And man, what a lot of very, very, very meaningful and helpful um, thoughts. And, and as we as we wrap up here, you know, any any one or two kind of closing thoughts or ideas that you'd want to throw out at the listeners just to say, Hey, we're in this, we're making disciples with Jesus. We're hoping to see more gospel conversations. We're hoping to see healthy congregations. We do want to equip our people uh, to be praying and not only for themselves and, but listening to God and understanding what he says of them. You know, I'm just recapping some of the things you've already said and, you know, but praying for our neighbors, all those different things. But what's one or two thoughts you might highlight in closing, just encouraging our folks in, in, in praying, but in this making disciples every day life that we're hoping to see more and more of? Yeah, it's a great question. They call them spiritual disciplines for a reason. And so there, there is a discipline aspect to, to a prayer life that, man, I'm still falling forward trying to obtain. And so I would say every journey that's worth taking starts with the first step. So regardless of where you are, be, begin in some way today. 
make a point right now to write down two or three things, four things, take an area of your own personal life and marry an area in your family, an area where you, you need wisdom and begin seeking the Lord in prayer in those ways. So begin in a small step today and say, I'm going to begin doing this. Every journey worth taking takes with a small step and repeated steps, you know, make habits. And then two, for the type of heirs that are listening, man, just don't make it a list. This is not a white knuckled journey where, you know, tonight you're going to have the most eloquent prayer at mealtime and then you're going to lay in bed and you're going to pray for everybody like a kid you know, at prayer time, grandma and granny and uncle. And so don't, don't make it a list that you feel like you have to white knuckle. It does require discipline and obedience, but God's not looking for you to white knuckle some list and master it. He's your master. Let him shape your heart through each step you take forward in prayer. Start simple, two or three things today that you can pray for and see if God won't honor that. And then, you know, Dukes, one of the last things I would say Part of my ongoing prayer life in the beginning was I asked the Lord specifically as part of my prayer, give me joy and freedom and passion in my time of prayer with you. So I just asked him. To me, it felt robotic for so long. It didn't feel like meaningful. It felt like I did it because I was supposed to. And I just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start asking God for joy in my prayer life with him. I'm going to start asking him for that to be a passion that when I get into that moment, it's one of the sweetest times of my day. God, would you, would you provide that for me? Would you do that for me? And quite often he does, not every time, but I made that a point of prayer. Say, God, make this a joyful experience for me. And he has in many ways, not always. I mean, sometimes it's duty. Sometimes I get up, I'm going to do this, but more often than not, it's joy. And I believe it's because I directly ask God for it.